0: questions you always had, the answers you were never given, the place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas.
1: Before we begin with this week's interview, I wanted to share something I plan to add in the not-too-distant future. A number of people have contacted me through the years asking if I could record some guided meditations, and the time has come to do so, especially during these unpredictable and stressful times. I'll have more information for you very soon. This will be another benefit for our very Veritas family. There are two reasons people who listen to this program don't usually fit in. One, you think for yourselves. And two, you don't care what others think about you. Why can not people see the truth? Because they are genetically modified digital beings living inside the matrix. And we are. Analog Organic Beings Yuri Besmanov once said many years ago exposure to true information does not matter anymore a person who is demoralized is unable to assess true information the facts tell him nothing even if I shower him with information with authentic proof with documents and pictures he will refuse to believe it that's the tragedy of the situation of demoralization Other people's morals have been debased, education becomes indoctrination, entertainment becomes hypnotism, criminals become leaders, and lies become truth. To learn more, stay with us.
0: You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, Paypal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulphur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, Want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrich. Thomas Sheridan
1: is an author, artist, and filmmaker from Dublin, Ireland, who came to international recognition in 2011 with a book titled Pustling People: The Labyrinth of the Psychopath. In recent times, His work has been featured in some of the world's largest media outlets as the interest in his work into serial killers, occult history, and mind-control cults continues to grow and has resulted in Thomas Sheridan becoming a much sought-after public speaker due to his entertaining, if at times hilariously funny and informative style of presentation. Sheridan offers a holistic approach to all the topics he covers, believing that by re-examining everything from art, mythology, the occult, and onto social engineering that this can equip us with what he terms a consciousness firewall in the face of pathological forces his mantra of Fuck them if they can't take a joke has become a clarion call for others to never allow the dark forces of this world to wash over us as well as to never take ourselves or what we believe in too seriously and directly from Dublin Ireland i'd like to welcome thomas Sheridan. Hello, Thomas. How are you?
2: Hi, Mel. It's, I'm delighted to actually be here. When I told some of my friends I was coming on this show, especially the Jason and Tim and the over my colleagues at the Beyond Room 313 YouTube channel, they were like kids. They were all excited because they're huge fans <laughs> of the show. So uh, I'm delighted to be here and so are other people too.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, Thomas, you have a lot to discuss and I want to begin by asking you what you think. Well, but first of all, For those who don't know you from this platform, give us your story, the background beyond what I read.
2: Well, I mean, I just was a a regular working class guy who grew up on the north side of Dublin, Ireland, and uh, grew up in the late 70s as a teenager, early 80s, left school, had a great time in the music scene in Ireland, uh, you know, had a really good time, then had an adventure going to America, Played in a band, played in two bands. Uh, had a bit of, had a great time there. Ended up going back to to night school and studying graphic design, and ended up working in corporate field. Came back to Ireland, started just doing picking up doing regular things. Uh, I was I was I was interested in art and painting, so I did that for a while in illustration, and uh, always interested in forty and then offbeat topics and things like. We're going back forever mind control and serial killers and stuff like that, and uh, I s- started making a video about experiences I had with individuals when I worked on Wall Street that they were comparable to serial killers, except they didn't actually kill anybody, but they were definitely had that behavior. And so I started making videos on YouTube about 11 years ago uh, uh, on the subject, and this is where I am now, and uh, I wrote a book called Puzzling People, The Labyrinth of the Psychopath, which is quite a good seller, and it gave me a life, a kind of an alternative life, and it allowed me to then talk about all the other things like I'm interested in, like mysteries and ancient sites and uh, all kinds of things, you know, very much a 40 and very much a person interested in the mysteries of the of the, of the world and the mysteries of the mind and the, hist- the mysteries of history, and so I was very fortunate that that, that gave me a life, and I've been basically doing that ever since and, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I I'm, I feel like I'm actually following my dharma in that sense. So, I, I have, I'm I very grateful to and very fortunate to be where I am. So, you know, that's basically my story. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's it. I couldn't really add much more to that than the bio. You
1: said something interesting there, mysteries of history. I'm always fascinated by the way history is presented to us, his hyphen story. Uh, I believe that most of the history that we have learned in our indoctrination growing up has been a lie. If you told me that 10 years ago, I would think that you were a conspiracy theorist. But now I truly, truly don't believe. I know that most of our history has been changed. Have you come to that conclusion since you call it mysteries of history?
2: Oh, I came to that conclusion when I was quite young. I used to get my bicycle and cycle around Ireland visiting the ancient sites. And one, one particular, we have these, Ireland is famous for these round towers. They're all about, about 100 feet high and they're all over the country. And they were told that they were built by the early Christians when they came to Ireland, but they, they don't conform with any kind of Christian architecture anywhere. And the the whole thing was that they said, well, it couldn't have been built pre-Christian because they used Roman technology in terms of the cement mortar. And I pointed out that, you know, people in Ireland had boats that could have easily went to Europe and learned this technology and brought it back. And I started to, like, look into that and discovered that basically they'd said that these round towers were built in the early Middle Ages because they just decided there was no proof of anything else. And then I said, well, that makes no sense at all because these things are obviously much older. And then I found much later in life, I found a smoking gun proof that. That there was an ancient Irish manuscript that spoke about the the round towers, seven, seventeen of them or so, being damaged in a an earthquake that hit the country, and this was supposedly five or six hundred years before they were supposed to have even been constructed. So I knew right then there was lies in all that history. And then when I started looking at other places, you know, the biggest shock for me was discovering that the Middle Ages probably didn't exist. That was one of the and there's only three books in the Vatican to actually prove that the Middle Ages existed. And so, like, yeah, when they talk about great resets, they've been doing the great resets in history for a long time.
1: What do you think of these coins that I've seen lately that lead me to believe that perhaps the elites or whoever's behind changing the cultural editors changed the time and added maybe a thousand years? And instead of, for example, you see uh, the year 1492, but you see a J or an I, as is Jesus, or Yesu, and then the time. Do you think that perhaps they added years to confuse us further?
2: Oh, you got it. They, I, I'm pretty sure they may have added 1,000 years to the calendar. Uh, there's definitely the the, the the period between Pope, uh, uh, what was his name, Pope, uh, I think it was, I can't remember his name, A will later. He was the Pope in 1000 AD, and he was actually a practicing occultist. The period between his uh, his period.
1: Pope Sylvester. Uh,
2: Sylvester, that's the one. Sylvester's second now, not the first. And then what? And about like 1000 AD from about like up to about six, 1600. Very strange anomalies prior to that. And there were some Russian scientists who discovered that using l- lunar calendar or eclipse calendars, that they discovered that there's no way these eclipses could have happened when they said they did in these ancient manuscripts. And these ancient manuscripts are modern forgeries, probably from the 17 or 1800s, or maybe a bit earlier. And they deducted that the Middle Ages didn't exist, and probably famous people who Christianized Europe, such as Charlemagne, probably was a fictional character that was made real over the past of time. And and lots of things are like this. I mean, the history of paganism is a, is a funny one. They tell us that It all ended about 1,800 years ago, and yet we know for a fact that up until about 400 years ago that the Vatican was still launching crusades into Karelia and Prussia, and funny enough, in parts of Europe where they're currently in the news, to wipe out these pagan kingdoms that were supposedly not supposed to exist. The Vatican had the smoking gun in all this. They seem to have added at least 600 years to the calendars in order to make big themselves up. And yeah, there's loads of weird anomalies like that.
1: So that's a lie. Perhaps they they added 400 to 1,000 years. What else have they added? What else have they subtracted? Because we've heard of the Book of Enoch that was removed removed from the Bible. What else have
2: they done? Oh, well, one very controversial theory I put forward is that they actually based the image of Jesus Christ on the crucifix on the, the Nordic god Odin. I have a film on my Beyond Room Three One Three channel called "Who Stole the All Father," and basically, the image of the crucifix didn't even exist until about a thousand years ago, or maybe much later, seven hundred years ago. The symbol for Christianity was a fish or two keys, and even Saint Saint Augustine suggested that a fitting symbol for Christianity would be a cockerel, and that's why you have a cockerel as the symbol of, the, like the religious French and stuff like that. And uh, the crucifix suddenly appears out of nowhere at around the same time they started to uh, con- so-called convert the Germanic and Nordic Nord- Nordic tribes of Northern Europe. And lo and behold, you have this guy now hanging off a cross where previous to that you can find absolutely no artwork anywhere or references to Jesus being crucifixed. It appears it appears out of the blue for after like centuries and centuries. And it, it, it's it's so beautifully timed, with to do with the conversion of Europe, uh, Northern Europe, and Germanic and pagan Europe, into uh, into Christianity, and the whole they they take they take Odin hanging off the Yggdrasil tree, and they put Jesus on it instead. They've done things like this a lot. They're very very devious.
1: Well, then we dive into the astro-theology aspect of all of this, and I know this may offend some of my Christian listeners, but that's okay. We have the sun, S-U-N, and then we have the sun, Jesus, S-O-N. But if you see the painting of the Last Supper, you see the disciples in clusters of three, which depict the four seasons. And then you have the, the December 21st, which is the winter solstice. And then three days later, the sun rises again from the dead, meaning Jesus or the sun. So why do you think that they put esra theology or maybe even Egyptology injected into Christianity?
2: Well, because there was no other story other than this story of a guy who was a rabbi, who was executed by the Romans for saying he was the Messiah. Other than that, there wasn't much else to the story. And you're not going to sell a religion based on a very basic story of martyrdom. So they had to embellish it. Hence, the reason why the Roman Empire adopted Christianity, and again, I'm not trying to insult anyone's religion. This is your own business, right. and if you have faith, good luck to you. But I'm telling you for a fact that the, the Constantine and the Roman army only incorporated Christianity into the Roman Empire because Christians were known to be violent and crazy. They were the ISIS of their day, and they the Romans figured out we can get these guys, if we can make this the religion of the army, the army won't fear debt. And uh, they had Mithraism, which was already, already the, the common religion among the Roman army was Mithraism, and that was a, pa- a Persian pagan god. It was monotheistic religion, but it was pagan. And uh, they just changed. They, they took, took the. He was born of a virgin. He died, you know, on December twenty-fifth. The whole thing. They just put the, st- the story of Mithra and just put Jesus on it instead. And as for the after-theology stuff, well, that goes back to the whole thing of Saul and and the the sort of other cults that existed in the late Roman Empire. And one particular interesting and fascinating cult that happened in Rome, just as Christianity was starting to take off, was a thing called the Dismanibus, which was a, a fascinating dead cult, where the Roman middle classes and upper classes developed this kind of weird nihilistic cult where they worshipped the dead. They actually would try to communicate with them. And they started doing things like locking themselves in caves and stuff to try and communicate with dead ancestors. Now, that opens, up, that opens a whole kettle of fish regarding possible you know, connections and being fooled by entities and so on. But it was literally the Roman Empire weathered this bizarre death cult right before Christianity was made the official religion. And a lot of the Dismanibus cult and the early forms of Christianity, you can't tell one from the other. They're both the same kinds of – the same groups and the same people. It happened among the sort of like – the funny enough, the, the, it's so similar to the climate change thing today where the upper middle class and the rich all love it. And the working class and the lower middle class think it's a lot of crap. It's, it's, it was just so – it's the same kind of weird thing that happened. But yet, it, it, again, it, the timing was perfect. It almost – you know, you can almost sense that someone above that was, was organizing all these things to happen so there will be a seamless trans- transition.
1: Well, if anybody doubts of the possibility of the Christians during that time being like ISIS, just look at the history of Hypatia, and there's a great movie out there that depicts what happened. Um, What do you think, when you look at that time... And the way they killed Hypatia because she was a, a teacher of a modern-day mystery school, which is exactly what I think this platform is. You and I are having a modern-day mystery school conversation. And you see the way we are being censored. And I know you're going through the same thing with your YouTube channel. So have I. My channel has been there for almost 15 years. And it every single day... It loses subscribers all the time. It's almost like a, a book burning or a or a slow silencing that's taking place.
2: Yeah, the Hypatia thing is interesting. Uh, well, she was a pagan. I mean, she she was a classical pagan. Uh, we it's only in recent times we come to call that stuff mystery schools. Although, like the, the modern, the, the sort of like the, the the classical mystery schools of Europe did tap very deeply into a lot of the things that she would have come from. But she was a classical pagan. And there was a, see what happened was there's a book called uh, The Darkening Age by an Oxford professor called Catherine Nixby. And it just it basically describes the early days of Christianity in terms of how it infiltrated the Roman Empire. And literally it was a bunch of guys who just came out of the desert and then sort of come out of all these various groups, particularly things like the Maccabees and the uh, the Zealots. And there was a, a kind of a, a psychiatric Episode happened among Jews following the destruction of the temple by the Romans and the fall of Masada and some of them became very disenfranchised and very angry and they actually were attacking mainstream orthodox Jews and they they, they eventually had what became the Christians they were a breakaway Jewish sect and they basically came out of the Syrian desert carrying hammers and the first thing they ever they attacked was the temp, the temple of Athena at Palmyra. Which ironically, eighteen hundred years later, was destroyed by the uh, ISIS and uh, finished off. And uh, from that point on, they were they were they were uh, early Jews at that period were terrified of the Christians, and so were many pagans who lived in that world at the time. But Constantine, he was a, the great the Roman emperor. He was a very intelligent and very clever, devious, Machiavellian type of individual, and he saw like if we had that kind of mentality because they were they were they'd go to their their deaths unafraid to die martyrdom. and he said that's that's the ideal mentality for a roman soldier and that's why he 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 stopped the prohibition against christianity in the empire and gave this sort of blessing for the army to become christian because if you're if you're going to go to heaven when you die then you're not going to be afraid of of death and so you know, what What people talk about early Christianity, what they're really talking about was a breakaway Jewish sect that was extremely violent and was not even, you know, even Jews were terrified of it. And just by chance, they became, I suppose you could compare it to like what's happened in Afghanistan actually getting all the weapons when the U.S. pulled out. They just, you know, they just, it's funny enough, these extremist groups somehow seem to end up in the mainstream. And they're probably the worst example of it.
1: Would you agree that Hypatia was the greatest of the, in history, the greatest of the pagan martyrs?
2: Uh, Well, there were so many. Remember, they they killed millions. Yeah. I mean, at the time Christianity began, there was 80 million pagans in Europe. There's not one today. Now, I mean, they were all converted, but huge numbers were killed. And to me, the greatest of the pagan martyrs, I don't know. I mean, I think she's probably one of the greatest, you know, figures in history for people to be inspired by because she died defending her principles of freedom, intellectual think thought, and against the concept of fanaticism and zealotry. So she was a phenomenal figure. It's funny how feminists don't really rally around her. I find that always fascinating. True. And Also, another great pagan figure is Boudicca, who defeated the Roman. They almost defeated the Romans in Britain, and they don't really seem to care about her. I find that fascinating. Like, you can pick two women from history who are um, you know, you know, pagan women who were actually amazing and you know would be role models to this day, and yet they're, they ignored them. I find that fascinating.
1: Is there a connection between paganism and, and and Wicca?
2: Well, yeah, this is I'm going to get into a lot of trouble for this now because, uh, as you know, I'm a pagan, but I'm, I'm an Indo-European pagan. I do not tr- practice any kind of Wicca stuff. Wicca is, was well, it's it's kind of like a complicated thing, but basically, what happened. When the English witchcraft laws were abolished or taken off the statute books in the late 1940s, early 1950s, they knew there was going to be an explosion in what you call witchcraft and people were going to try to go back to the old religions and stuff like that. And remember in England in particular, there was very little of the old religion left because the Normans had wiped out basically English folk society with the harrying of the north. And that's why... Tolkien had to create the Lord the, the Middle Earth cycle because English mythology and it was was basically lost the Normans had had destroyed it. So I think I think there was I, I think my theory on wicca is that well Crowley absolutely uh, Alistair Crowley absolutely wrote the book and he got this guy called Gerald Gardner who was an English civil servant and also a practicing occultist to invent this thing called wicca. And telling people it was the old religion of England, when it wasn't, it never was. It was totally made up by these two guys. And there's a theory that Crowley didn't want people who were probably unstable to suddenly take an interest in in, in magic, and because it could cause like some kind of disruption within the world, to have all these people who don't really know what they're doing are trying to get back at their ex-husband. So they invent this like fake magical school that doesn't work. This fake paganism called Wicca, and they dis- disseminated it among society, and it became very successful, particularly among women. But Wiccans, when a Wiccan calls themselves a pagan, are completely wrong because all the, m- a lot of the stuff that's involved in it is is Jewish uh, magic and, but like the sinister the Kabbalah and things like uh, Jewish deities like uh, Lilith and Jewish angels and stuff like that. So no, pa- it, Wicca has nothing to do with paganism. It's an imposter. But having said that, if you're a Wiccan and you're into that, good luck to you. That's your own business. There's nothing wrong with it. Now, paganism is, I mean, if you were to look at a religion in the world today, that's pretty close to what Europeans venerated in terms of paganism. I think Hinduism would be the closest in India because they come from the same root. They both come from the Indo-European root.
1: As we're talking, I just remember when I was in fifth grade, this is probably 1978, I went to a Catholic school, and I remember our teacher was putting, this was during Halloween times, and she was putting posters, you know, and decorating, and all of a sudden, a few weeks before we got this new priest, director of the school, very, very conservative, all of a sudden, he just came through the room inside of our classroom, looked at us, and silently came to every poster and ripped it in 100 pieces each. Did not say anything. You could see the teacher with teary eyes because she was trying to make us happy. And uh, the last thing he said after he left the room, don't ever do that. That's pagan and left. And me being the curious one, I raised my hand and I said, can you please explain what pagan, pagan means? And she says, I would rather not talk about this. Never talked about it again. For those who don't understand paganism, can you define it?
2: Well, paganism was the religion of the of the, of Europe and the Middle East and much of the Eurasia uh, prior prior to as far as India as well uh, prior to the arrival of the Judeo-Christian religions. Generally, paganism has uh, it's polytheistic in that there's pantheons of gods. So you're all familiar with the Nordic pantheon of gods, Odin, Thor, Freya, sure. and so on, and you're familiar with the the Hellenic ones, you know, the Zeus, Greeks, sure. You know, the mm-hmm. Athena and then you have the Roman ones Mithra you know Jupiter and all the other things like that and Saturn and that's what they were and they they applied these were not just merely gods in the sense that they worshiped them but they were all I'm going be talking about this later on in the show and other subjects but they were basically seen as archetypes representing forces of the cosmos nature and the psychology so it'll take someone like the i'll give you an example it was a, it was a very it's quite a sophisticated form of religion. And what's interesting about it is that they're very similar, even though they have different names. They're very similar across in, in remarkably diverse cultures. So, for instance, there's a thunder god. There's always a thunder god. And you, we all know about Thor. But there's also Vales in the, the, the Slavic paganism tradition. Uh, there's Zeus in the, uh, the the Hellenic. And then there's even in Hinduism, there's the Duma Vavati. Uh, sorry, Indra. Indra, which where well, Indus Valley is named after, and you know, and, and not only does the Thor archetype represent the thunder, but it also represents the archetypes of doing things and creating things and ideas. This the flash of insight, and then you have the converse thing to that, as you would have Loki. So, like, I'll give an example. You no, know, thunder follows lightning. So, lightning in the in the Nordic sense is Loki. And that comes from an Indo-European root word called *luke*, And that's also where the Celtic god Lu comes from. And he's often been associated with light, similar to Lucifer. Lucifer is also a pagan god as well. There's no mention of Lucifer in the Bible. That was a mistranslation. And uh, the, uh, so lightning represents, luke, you know, the flash of lightning represents the, 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 initial, the initial spark of creation, an idea, a thought followed by thunder, which, uh, which is the actual, the bringing of that into manifestation. So you have an idea and then you make it happen. Loki first, then Thor. So they were gods but they were also represented elements of behavior, the psychos- uh, the psychology and forces of nature and the cosmos. And they were the default religions of basically much of the world until the arrival of like Christianity, Judeo-Christianity in, in the West and Buddhism in the East. But yeah I mean that's basically what they were they were the the original religions of our ancestors, and you know they weren't evil they were unma- they were only made evil by christianity uh they were never and, and Islam particularly as well was very persecuting all the uh, pagans but yeah, I mean they were just the, the religions of our ancestors that's all they were and uh they didn't they just had instead of having one true God, they had pantheons of gods. And that was basically it. So, and were, so, you know, people, you know, I think with the world was a better place when you had multiples of gods. They didn't have one true god, one true law, one true pope, one true president, one true leadership, one true system, one world order. I mean, the, 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 that's where that all comes from: this belief of one supreme thing. Where in pagans, they were much more laid back and you know relaxed about these things. There was not this whole thing of, there was no Ten Commandments. Pagans don't have, are not congregational. They don't go to mass or any sort of like religious service. Uh, their temples is nature. Their temples are the stars. Their temples is the ocean. And uh, they, they you would you would not have congregationalism, like going to like mass or services or anything like that. You have temples, but just like in Hinduism, you don't go to a, a Hindu temple, and I've spent a fair bit of time in it myself. You don't go there to, to have a you know, a Brahmin give a give a sermon. You go in there and you ha- you communicate personally with the with the idols and the uh, the symbolisms of the actual different gods and goddesses in there. But that was basically pa- paganism.
1: Well, I think that's a very it's a common denominator between paganism, uh, uh, pagans, and the natives and the aborigines uh, around the world. Instead of going inside of a temple to to pray or to practice spirituality, they do that outside. They commune with nature. Isn't that a big opposite?
2: Yeah, and, and if they have an indoor building, it's just basically for convenience to keep you out of the weather. Right. So in a hot country to keep the sun off, you in a cold country to keep you warm. One th- that, it, there's no other reason for it.
1: One thing that since I was a child, obviously, again, as I said, I grew up a Roman Catholic and I was told uh, Lucifer is the same as Satan. But as you said, it's hardly ever mentioned in the Bible. Uh, You know, Christians believe that devil was once a beautiful angel named Lucifer who defied God and and fell from grace. But if you translate Lucifer in Latin, it's light bearing. And it makes you wonder sometimes, could we be and again, I don't mean to offend my Christian brothers and sisters here, but just I just want to get to the truth. What if this light-bearing Lucifer was actually uh, the good guy?
2: Oh well, there's a whole interesting, a whole. Well, I'll briefly dive into a huge kettle of fish we've just opened here. But basically, Lucifer does not appear in any Christian or Jew, Jewish text, none except when the King James Bible was being written. It was a mistranslation of a Hebrew word, but they mistranslated as being Lucifer. Now, Lucifer was a pagan god of Rome who was associated with the the, the morning star and the evening star of Venus, Venus the right. bringing of the day, the closing of the day, light. He was, obe- he was initially like all the Roman gods based on a Greek god, a Hellenic god called Phosphor, and he represented the same archetypes. The flash of insight, very similar to Loki. Loki and Lou and Lucifer all come from the same Indo European root of Luke, and the whole concept of the, the the unbridled truth. Now, there's another aspect to Lucifer as well, because he ended up in the King James Bible as a mistranslation, and that name was in there, and we talked about the whole story of the fallen angel and stuff. True, basically, Freemasonry, initially, but not, not exclusively, all through the mystery traditions in Europe. Lucifer became an esoteric being. He was kind of transformed into an esoteric being. And by the time theosophy and things like this came along, Lucifer was held in higher esteem than Jesus Christ because Lucifer represented free will and free thought and honesty and directness. You know, Lucifer said to, when well, if you read the Bible, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, Jehovah, whatever you want to call it, it's basically, to us pagans, we consider him to be that a psychopathic demon. And if you read that, you read those those early, the, the Old Testament, all he does is kill, murder, and destroy people. You know, that's all he basically does. He's jealous, he's vindictive. He behaves just like a demonic entity. And uh, so it wasn't surprising that this, this character that we call Lucifer would say, hold on a second! You can't behave like this. This is for if, if you know. This is beautifully outlined in uh, Carl Jung's essay, "Letters to Job," and this whole thing of like Job was like you know, Lucifer has gone, Why do you worship this god? Look what he does to you. What, what Why did Abraham almost kill his son for this guy? What kind of religion is that? This kind of thing. And uh, so you know, the esoteric Lucifer is Luciferianism, which still continues to this day, is mainly a product of. People like Blavatsky and and uh, Rudolf Steiner and Alice 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 Bailey uh, coming through and A.E. White coming through theosophy mainly, but also through the mystery schools and the mystery traditions is actually a, a very a, like you said he's the good guy he's the one who who saved humanity from this psychopathic tyrant called uh, called Jehovah.
1: And again, this might be offending some people as we speak. But let me bring this to the 21st century right now. What do we hear in the news right now? That the evil, the Satan, the, the, the butcher, the killer is Putin. And by the way, folks, if you hear me just talk about this, it's not that I'm defending Vladimir Putin. I just want to get to the truth because when for the last two years, the same people who told me one thing about a certain thing that I don't want to discuss anymore because it's been almost three years of it. And every time I mention that, I get in trouble. But the same people who told us to go one way are the same people that are trying to get us to World War Three right now. When I see somebody that's been demonized for years and all I see is that he's trying to help his country, I must wonder, what is your opinion on on what you just said about in the past and what we see now with Lucifer.
2: Well, it seems to me that when someone wants you to hate someone else, there's usually their agenda involved in it. Yes. So for instance, like the whole thing with your man in Russia, right? Like I'm not going to hate him because the BBC or, or CNL tells me to And any more than I'm going to hate a person of a different color or a different religion because the, the television tells me to we're, you know the 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 actual mass hysteria at the moment is a psychic mind virus that's been taken from the thing you don't want to talk about the rona of the last three years, and people have been whipped up into this state this messianic state where it became a religion for them suddenly that religion was taken away from them, but they still needed to have that messianic sense of ritual, and so what they gave them instead was Putin as the devil uh they took the the, the virus was the devil and now prefer to use the word devil rather than – they whip the actual, the actual person up into an unbelievable frenzy over
1: – I don't hear you.
2: Can you hear me now? I
1: can hear you now. Were you were – you? No, did you hear what I, I was saying?
2: Yeah, I could hear you as clear as anything, but there was a weird noise before we were cut off. As soon as I started to t- say that, like, I started to talk about the devil and using the word devil, this weird noise appeared and and you couldn't hear me. So what I call the digital gin is actually, it seems to be at work tonight. I had a feeling this would happen. This happens all the time when I talk about these subjects, particularly on Skype, things happen. It's very weird. So
1: take it from there. Take it from there. We're discussing how a certain group tells us to demonize something. And what you said is so precious. You said that for the last two, almost we're entering the third year now, It was almost like a religion, a cult. I'm going to call it a cult. And they, virtue signaling, now they lose that. And they realize that maybe they were played because you don't change. Science does not change from one day to the other. And all of a sudden, they tell you, well, but we have a replacement. Now you can wear the blue and the yellow. Oh, great. I can continue with another cult.
2: Well, Mel, you nailed that beautifully because that's exactly how I see it. They took away their dopamine rush that they were getting from being self-righteous and moralistic about this, shall we say, this this this, this previous thing. It was suddenly taken away from them. And then they replaced literally this, 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 this bat virus from the East with this guy Putin from the East. And he was the compensation. So they were, suddenly weren't left flat. It was almost like someone who has a long-term relationship that ends and meets somebody on the rebound. Well, they gave them the rebound. Now, the thing is that the the whole thing is fascinating. It's exactly a religion. Absolutely. It's a, a cult, a, a frightening cult as well. And it shows you how these people have been can be so easily manipulated. But the primary reason now that they've given them Putin is because the vaccine didn't work. That was their transubstantiation. That was, I call it the needlecraft, the case we're on air. Uh, on YouTube, the needlecraft didn't work. They have record numbers of people in hospital right now with this virus, and all of them, all of them are vaccinated or needlecraft, we should say. And as a result, so people don't ask what exactly was the last three years of without. Why were we told to see this this arrival of this 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 needlecraft as some kind of messianic device? That would liberate us and free us again. So instead, and then suddenly, people are still getting sick of this thing. Why is this going on? And then he says, "Oh, hold on a second. Look over here, Putin. Putin, look over there. If it, it had been any other time, and Putin invaded uh, Ukraine, there would have hardly been half the new, quarter of the news that we're getting about it right now. It's a compensatory thing by the, the globalist." to take the, the minds off people so they don't actually, most people are so stupid today anyway, but they don't figure out that this, this this these two injections and the booster didn't actually work. And it was actually herd immunity, like all those conspiracy theorists, the freaks in the end said is what would actually end the thing. And it was. So that's what that's really about. It's a, you know, yeah, there's a roar going on there. Yeah, it's real. But they're, they're, they're told to hate Putin as a compensator. He's the new devil. And I was just saying I prefer the term devil over Satan or Lucifer because devil just purely comes from a French term of evil. So and it's, and it's also not as complicated as the other two words, Satan and Lucifer. But yeah, so that's the reason why. It's just a compensatory mechanism for the psychology of the normies to give them something to hate so they never properly like wise up and realize they were duped for the last two and a half years.
1: And when the tech tyranny tell us, tells us right now, it's okay for you to say... I want to kill Putin or, you know, just be violent in, in your language, do whatever you have to say to rally your troops and the tech tyranny won't say a thing that will not censor you at all. That makes me wonder. And this is why I question the narrative. And all the same people that were saying one thing a year ago are saying the same thing now for other reasons. Now, again, could we be being played? Could Putin be one of them? Because as we know, he was shaking hands with Klaus Schwab. He was part of the World Economic Forum. And some people say to me those things. But at the same time, I heard about a week ago, two ago, that he was ejected from the World Economic Forum. And it makes you wonder, where does he stand? Is he he a puppet or is he a true benign character?
2: Well, first of all, I'm not a Putin fanboy. I'm just discuss. I want to make make sure that when people hear these comments... Same here, yeah. They're coming, from the, uh, they're coming from what I'm trying to be as neutral as possible. Yes, he appeared with Klaus Schwab on the World Economic Forum. That doesn't necessarily mean he's in the club. You know, like people, th- just because someone was pictured with someone or was at an event, they could be just guests. It doesn't mean, they could be even there spying. That doesn't mean they're actually there as a paid-up member. So people have to be very careful about assuming that they see a photograph or they see someone at some place that are paid-up member. I mean, for instance, years ago, I used to work as a lobbyist for, and I used to actually have to speak at political conventions and I'd have to make it at the beginning that say, I'm here on behalf of the group as an independent person and not as part of your political party. But you're invited in there to give, you know, was a, this was a thing on, uh, on in Dublin on housing and transport and this was years back. And so I'd have to actually state that. So just because someone appears at a certain political event doesn't mean they're on the club. So that's the first thing people have to bear in mind. Secondly, I think, and this is my absolute truth on this, I really do believe this now, that Putin is actually a Russian patriot who's doing what he thinks is right for his country. I'm not saying what he's doing is correct or moral or anything like that. I'm just saying I actually believe that this guy... is is an actual Russian patriot who's doing what he thinks is right for his country. And now that we've discovered about the bioweapons labs that are adopted up, the the Biden's bioweapon labs that are all over Ukraine, it's kind of understandable why he reacted the way he did.
1: Well, it's interesting you're saying that because you see people with uh, Epstein and immediately you think, oh, they must have gone to Lolita Island. I remember back in 1995 I also worked um, with Wall Street and I was in the World Trade Center in Los Angeles giving a presentation, and right next to me giving a presentation with, next to me, was Domingo Cavallo. He was the economic minister of Argentina who destroyed that economy a year or two later. If anybody sees pictures of me standing next to him, they'll say, oh, this guy's a member of the club. Not necessarily, right?
2: The whole thing with the picture, Epstein was what you call a schmoozer. He wanted his photograph taken with anyone famous to pretend he was you know he was that personality type, but uh having a photograph of you next to uh, to, to Epstein proves nothing it, going to the island might prove something if you can actually be found on that island that that's that's pretty close to some evidence you can work with. but a photograph of someone next to Epstein that has some kind of snooty do in New York doesn't actually prove anything, and the same with with, with Coutin at the World, at the World Economic Forum, it doesn't actually prove anything. Uh, yeah, I do. I do believe that. I think he's a patriot and in his own way, and he's just like an old-fashioned Russian. He's like Peter the Great or something. He just feels that Russia's place in the world is solved but military action.
1: I think almost, it's almost like he wants to become the new Tsar in a good way. I mean, what happened before the Bolsheviks came along? I mean, if you look at the structures and the architecture of Russia— it was incredible. Same thing, you know. With the, if you look at Dresden, uh, Germany uh, after the war, it was completely obliterated, almost as if they just wanted to wipe out the old history, all the old architecture, so people could stop asking questions as to how is it that in the eighteen hundreds it was supposedly built when those buildings look so much more aged.
2: Well, you know, there was also one wonder the reason they looked aged. This is they're going to a whole other thing here, but. Uh, Dresden was funny enough was personally in the order by Winston Churchill, and that was not a munitions city that was a hospital city, so it was not a strategic military military target and it, when the r a f basically turned that city to dust fireballs to cities in the world. but the same thing happened in Nuremberg as well. A lot of those old German cities were gorgeous, and uh, they were basically you look at berlin i mean it 's you look at it today, it 's nothing like what it used to look like but uh and I don't know about that. I mean, the, the, you know, it, it, I, I, I think there's, I think when they destroyed those old cities, it was a way of saying your culture doesn't mean anything. It was almost like a way of saying you've been wiped off the. Yeah. You know the Roman concept of annihilation, and that everything, right down to your self, sense of self, is removed. But the reason why a lot of those buildings look a lot older back then was pollution, product primarily. There was so much smog in the air from coal fires and steam trains and steam factories and stuff like that. There was a lot more industry in cities. So the buildings, I remember Dublin as I was a kid, it it looked like, it, geez, it looked amazing. It was like all, this, all the old buildings were all covered in black from the smog and smoke. And they all started cleaning them up in the 80s, the early 80s. And it looked like they were brand new. And it was just a layer of smog. So I think that's the reason why the buildings looked older than they did. But again, who knows? I don't know for certain. But I do. Yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, I, I wouldn't put anything past any of these guys to do anything like that. But uh, at the same time, Russia was wiped out by the Bolsheviks. Were pure evil. The Bolsheviks. Bolshevism is a mental illness that manifests in a political system. In fact, I despise all forms of communism, and um, and Bolshevism is, is is almost like the ISIS of communism and it's it was just evil what those that that bunch did in that country and the and the countries around them and i think in his own funny kind of way perhaps putin is trying to undo that and bring back the old imperial russia
1: well also a lot of them a lot of the the people behind the bolshevik revolution were not even russian and then no. we we have a word that we use around here and it gets us in trouble too when we say that uh Today's Ukraine was Kassaria. And that's where Trotsky was from, from Berezlavka, Ukraine. So a lot of what we've seen today in the world, the cradle of decadence, the cradle of of what's wrong with this world, all those biolabs that we were told a few weeks ago, that's a conspiracy uh, theory. And now it's becoming true. So this Ukraine Part of the world was very, very significant at one point in our history for a lot of the bad things that happened around the world. Don't you think?
2: Uh, I don't know about that. I'll tell you why. It, it, I've looked into lots of things in history, and the, you always that the, 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 the to me uh, the Prussians never the one thing that the ones you do, they don't talk about is usually the ones you should look for. And I've, I've studied the Prussian Empire very, very in depth. And Prussia is probably the dominant force in the world. It invented our education system, our military systems. Most of the royal families of Europe come from Prussians. Uh, the whole concept of modern day science, engineering and everything is Prussian. The whole thing of discipline, labor, everything was Prussian. And so I'd be much more inclined to think, to, to think along do, those lines. Regarding that whole thing of the Khazars and the Khazars, that whole part of the world, it's a, funny, it's a very funny place because those people who were originally Scandinavians, probably from, from places like Sweden, that's where Russia got its name from. Vikings who moved into, the, into those river valleys along in Russia and became Rus and Russia and so on that, for that reason. And then they like about a thousand years ago, they had a king who invited all the different religions in the the lobby and he decided to convert the whole the whole region into uh, into Jewish people and that they adopted Jewish religion. But before they before they were even Jewish, they were extremely violent. They are one of the few places that the Mongols and the Huns couldn't take on. So, you know, it's, it, it, that goes back a long way. And if you actually go back to its roots, it's actually it's actually Viking, and Scandinavian. So what
1: do you think happened with the name Prussia? Because why isn't Germany called Prussia? Was it because of the monarchies being abolished at the beginning of last century?
2: It was officially dissolved at the end of World War II in 1945. The, 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 the nation, Germany was considered Prussia, sort of in officially until one thousand nine hundred and forty-five, when the end of the war, they officially dissolved the name, and Prussia was no more. Uh, the royal families—it didn't matter to them because they were already there. were. It's just like there's a fantastic film with James Coburn called Cross of Iron, a Sam Peckinpah film in the 70s. and it's about um, it's about Russian troops on the uh, the Eastern Front, and there's a great David Warren, the great English actor, makes this as a German makes this an amazing speech. It says it doesn't matter what these officers do—they win the war, they lose the war. When this all ends they'll go back to their castles in Prussia with their iron crosses and and you know, and, and, and eat pheasant and things like this. Yeah, that's what it was. It was a, an aristocratic society born out of uh, Frederick Frederick the Great or Frederick the Second about two, two nearly three hundred years ago now, and he became the greatest military leader in Europe and as a result all the all the other European powers fell in love with him. And all the ro- royal families wanted to interbreed with Germans. This is why the British royal family are German, because of the Prussians and the Hessians. And they're all German, the Swedish royal family, the French royal family, well, well, the, the one that existed, the, the Russians. The lot, They're all Prussians or Germans. And so it, it didn't matter that the, the actual country didn't exist. Their power base through arist- aristocrats still existed.
1: And it was just banished completely out of the maps. What about Tsar Nicholas 2nd Wasn't he related to a, uh, a British prince as well?
2: Yeah, he was, was King George. He was King George. And he was also a uh, villain, uh, 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 what you call it, uh, of Germany, uh, Kaiser Bill. Kaiser Wilhelm. And we see photographs of the three of them together. They look identical. They look because like clones. Yep. They are, you, you, they're identical. It's scary how similar they look. And during the height of World War I, when all this horrific murder was going on, the trenches and stuff like that, they're writing letters to each other saying, oh, I can't wait till the silly war is over so we can get back to playing tennis again.
1: <laughs> so the Kaiser, the Tsar, and King George V, cousins at World War I. Now, yeah. who pushed them to war? They're a family. Why would they go to war against each other?
2: Well, first of all, it wouldn't affect them. They were, they were safe. No, that was a population reduction thing. What happened was, before World War I happened, there was a thing, no, especially in Britain, there was a thing called the Great Unrest. And what was happening was that there was basically labor movements were, being, were, were picking up big time in Europe. And then the Bolsheviks and the communists were taken off. And you had like Soviets popping up all over Europe. And these Soviets were very much anti-royalty, anti-establishment and so on. And a lot of this had to do with unemployment caused by things like mechan- mechanization. There wasn't as much jobs, particularly for young men, in the traditional industrial towns. And you had this thing before World War One called the Great Unrest. You had know, things like in Britain that's hard. It's never talked about now where British soldiers went into mining towns in Wales and shot people. So they were very worried about the working classes. There was too many of them in in Europe. They were They were going to have to make lots of them unemployed because of mechanization. Uh, They were worried that there would be revolutions that would take over. So the Axis powers, the central powers, went to war against each other. And this is absolutely, I will stand by this to my dying day, it was a population reduction strategy to kill as many European young men as possible. And everything from the style of warfare they developed, to the weapons, to how it actually functioned, was all and and particularly the kind of people they recruited it was they were specifically recruited from factory towns not just in Britain but also in Germany and in Eastern Europe it was a population it was a cynical population reduction in order to protect royalty from the working class that's why world war 1 happened
1: what caused the bolsheviks to be so vicious and the way they murdered Tsar Nicholas II and his family. Then Stalin came along and millions of Ukrainians were starved to death. The famine. I mean, something must be wrong with these people to hate so much what this Tsar was doing.
2: Well, one of the things I love about America, and I love about Americans, and I hope you never ever lose this, is you don't trust your governments. You don't trust power. You don't trust bureaucracy. You may tolerate them, you may vote for them, but you don't trust them. I mean, I think it was Gore Vidal who said the greatest act of patriotism anyone can have is to be very rude to their government, and Americans are very good at that. Communism is the is the opposite of what, say, you have in America, where, in theory, as it was as it was laid out by the founding fathers, as a phenomenal experiment in societies. That the idea was personal liberty. Just leave the people alone. They're fine as much as possible to get on and pursue their own prosperity. That was a beautiful, beautiful idea. The complete opposite side of that is absolute control and officialdom. And that's what communism, socialism is. It's the belief that human beings are like ants in an ant farm. And they have to be all controlled. And the reason what and it, and they, what happens is, the means the means of production becomes the actual human capital, and therefore, if you have a problem in a society where human beings are re- reduced to units, labor units, whatever, and you have an overabundance of them, you simply kill them off, you starve them, you shoot them. I mean, remember, national socialism. The word socialism is on the end of that for a reason. They were socialists too. And you simply just, act, you know, the system is what matters. And and I think it was stumped up, stumped up personally by Stalin when he said, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. And we see this everywhere. We see it in Soviet Russia. We saw it in Romania under Ceausescu. We saw it in Pol Pot under, in Ca- in Cambodia. Oh, yeah. We saw it in Mao, the Chinese Cultural Revolution. People are reduced to units. Units in a machine, and when the machine has problem with too many units, you remove the units, and that's what that's why they are the way they are. Cold, controlling officialdom taken to a psychopathic level.
1: Well, when it comes to trusting the government in the USA, it could have fooled me. In the past couple of years, I was very disappointed to see so many people blindly trusting authority. Hopefully, they have now. Have uh, woken a, a, a little bit, and this is why we're seeing the change of narrative,
2: perhaps. Well, you're not the only one disappointed. I thought Ireland was a land of rebels and <laughs> fighters, and on Australia and, too. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, exactly. I thought we were we were lands of Ireland was a country of mavericks who didn't, you know, as soon as anyone pisses you off, you just you start an army. Uh, apparently we bottled it just like we're hearing stories from, from the Australians and you guys and stuff. It's shocking, really. And it's like, what has been done to the human race? I just don't know.
1: Well, let's dive into, uh, I thought I was going to start with this, social engineering via mind control. But I'm glad I opened all these doors with, before with you. And we have a few minutes before we take a break. But social engineering via mind control, let's begin with that because I think that is the the elephant in the room right now
2: well they've all they, they, they've always been fascinated by this going back a long time i mean the the very first steam engine that was ever built was built in Rome about two and a half thousand no two thousand two hundred years ago, and its purpose was to open the doors of a temple, and so this like these people could spoof them to saying that uh, that was Jupiter who opened the doors by a miraculous act of the gods. And it was a steam engine that opened the doors. And they they realized that they could get more people to that temple giving offerings and stuff like that. And so that began that way. So they've always been interested. And it goes right back to the parade parade of idols through the Ishtar Gate in ancient Samaria. The the the, the Sumerian and Babylonian kings would be amazed how people would be spellbound by torchlit processions at night. And you could take them off somewhere else. And that made its way into things like the Greek mystery players. Worked its way through things up into the present. Uh, like, well, all the things that happened in the Middle Ages, the processions, the Corpus Christi processions, or the overland processions, the cathedrals, the shrines. And they were known for a long time that humans can be very easily led, Not even you know, through mind control. And that even extended into things like opera, the Wagner operas. This is where, like, Hitler got the idea for how to run the Third Reich. We saw people being spellbound watching Wagner opera productions, and they've always known this. And then it became a science in the last hundred or so years. You have things like Pavlov, and you have things like the Milgram experiment, and you have things like the the Stanford Prison experiment, and all kinds of things like MK Ultra and to, um, and everything else in between. And they it's so it's so bizarre. But the people who run this world don't actually see us as part of us being like them. They see us the same way that they see livestock on a farm. That's how they see us. And they're constantly looking for ways to make us more tame, to domesticate us more and more. And mind control has been an enormous part of this.
1: I'm glad you heard you brought up some of these experiments, including the Milgram experiment. what's from Yale, I believe. And they wanted to, to see how people obedience to authority uh, was was conducted. Do you think they have perfected this? And this is one of the reasons why in the mid-2000s, 2010s, I believe, when we got the transition from analog to digital TV because they wanted to perfect the way in which they delivered that hypnosis to the masses?
2: Oh, well, you're, you're into something that I love talking about. Digital signals and digital electronics exist nowhere in this universe except on this planet. All the other ele- electrical operations, from our nervous system to how galaxies function, is all analog. And so the digital thing—if you look at this—if you look at, say, a a, a a an analog sine wave, an electronic wave, it, it, it's it's literally a wave. It has it's smooth. It has peaks and valleys. If you look at the binary code of a digital signal it's blocks it's squares it's on and off on and off on and off there's no subtle nuances of thought there's no gray area allowed things are or they aren't and the switch to digital I, I often refer to myself as an analog person in a digital world and that's exactly like okay mel let's 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 take this fairly deeply now I actually believe the reason why people like me, you, and people we know like us, and all the people listening to your program are broken from the system because we have remained analog beings in a digital matrix. And that's where why we are the way we are. And that's why we can't relate to the average person wearing a mask, driving alone inside his own car. And they can't relate to us saying, Everything on the TV news is a lot of bullshit. What are you on about? It's clear as day they're talking bullshit. There's supposed to be people dying in their millions and here are doctors and nurses doing dances on TikTok videos. videos. How busy are these hospitals? That's analogue thought. Because we're capable of seeing the nuances, the grey areas, the parts that aren't black and white, the order, the function. What we see is the subtleness in between. And that's that's what the that's why I think they're pushing this whole digital thing. And you, they, that's why they want to get chips inside people so they can actually try and sub, sub, subvert the human nervous system, which is analog, and make it digital. And that way, get around you know the things that make you think outside the box, the thing that make you, oh, hold on a second here. And I think that's what's happened to my, the men in my country. And I think that's what happened to the people in America and, and in Australia in Victoria. Is that what's become of them? Is they've been made digital? They've been made digital, and the rest of us are analog, and that's the only reason we're able to see through it. And if there's any, you know, it's funny. We're almost like the pagans that in the, in the eighteen hundred years ago, uh, they were analog, and then the new religion became was the digital one. And now here we all go again. You know, it's like repeating itself again. And it's like if there's one thing I would say to people, hang on to your analog nature because that's your true spirit that's what you are nature is fully analog when electromagnetic rays come in from outer space they're analog when the sun shines it's analog when radiation happens it's analog when birds take flight when things happen, when the seas move when the air ch- spins around it's all analog we're not digital and and they want desperately and you do believe there's something funny you're right They did the same thing in Ireland at the same time. And I can remember the Minister for Communications here in 2010, and they were talking about the the removal of analog TV in Ireland and the rollout of digital. And he, he said something I will never forget. He said, we will make sure that everybody in this country has digital TV, and we're going to lengths to make sure that isolated and remote island communities out in the Atlantic get the digital TV just as much as people in urban areas in the cities on the mainland. Now, why would they be so obsessed with getting a digital signal to islands off the coast, remote island communities? There was a reason why they wanted that, and you just said it, to turn us into robots, and it's happened with with most of society.
1: You just made me change the long title that I had planned for this Interview, and now I'm going to call it being an analog being in a digital matrix. And I don't know why I'm thinking of Arthur Fristenberg the author of The Invisible Rainbow, which, by the way, we're trying to get an interview with him every so often when there's a new technological advance, especially when it comes to cell towers or radio. There's a pandemic that happens around the world so there's a big correlation there we have more to discuss i want to continue discussing this the analog being in a digital matrix and many other things when we come back Psych- the psychopathy and bureaucracy a cold technology used by governmental and media systems symbolism magic and esotericism how can people learn more about your work thomas
2: well they can go i've got a, a link tree page i've loads of websites and YouTube channels but in terms of what we're thinking of, looking at tonight the best place would probably be my Beyond Room 313 channel on YouTube because that's what we're talking about tonight is covering a lot of films and documentaries and even news reports on there so I think that people would get a lot from that and uh, I mean I've got books out there and everything if you Google my name at Amazon you'll find them and uh, I've also got a Thomas Sheridan Arts Wix page so yeah, I'm easy enough to find, you know, I, I, I'll give you a, a, a link three uh, thing and you can put it on your website and on the video, whatever, when you, or on, the, on the audio when you've uploaded it.
1: I have the link on our website for your website and for your YouTube channel as well. Folks, don't go anywhere. I have one more hour to come with Thomas Sheridan. This is Mel Hosselrich and you are listening to Veritas.
3: Thank you for listening to the first part of this important Veritas interview. To listen to the rest, and all of our material, proceed to the member section, or join the Veritas family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting, Bitcoin, Litecoin, and Ethereum. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, for Focus Life Force Energy. MMS, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you're listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. And click the bell to be notified when new interviews are available. Now, proceed to the members section or subscribe, to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Thank you for listening to Veritas. Because you don't want to believe. You want to know.